Favorite Monk Podcast. Podcast, podcast, podcast. Coming to you almost live from high atop the Mellow Mushroom here in downtown metropolitan Franklin, Tennessee. Tennessee, Tennessee. I'm the echo today. On the it makes day you sound more Liberty. important. Welcome. Welcome, uh, Aaron, our co-host, joining us from Studio B in San Luis Obispo, California. I'm your host, Nate Larkin, here, as always, with our fearless and fearless engineer, Mondo Grimes, and today's guest, John Edwards. Well, fellas, how yeah. went the big weekend? Man, it was good. Yeah? It was good, I was, as I was sharing before. Uh, you would have liked this, Aaron. Your kids would have loved it. My buddy John had a 150-foot-long uh, slip-and-slide by 10 feet oh, wide down, yeah. a, down a hill. Nice. Yeah, it was pretty smooth. Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the, the kids were fired up. Had a few casualties, but uh, yeah, 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 yeah. For yeah. the most part, we were pretty good, man. So, dude, Mondo, last time I did one of those was for uh, a college retreat, I think, and we used Agrisoak. Do you know what Agrisoak is? No. Nah, what is that? Like little, they're like little gel balls that you put on a lawn, and it it captures the moisture so that it doesn't just soak into the ground and kind of it's a it's a time release moisture kind of a thing. Okay. Yeah. But if you put that on your slip and slide and get it wet. It's like just slimy water that doesn't just run down. It just coats it. But I used to be on the board of directors at this camp, and when we got done, we just hosed it off. Right. For the next three months, there were kid camps, and the the caretaker would just stand up at his fence and watch kids, after the sprinklers had gone off, walking to chapel, hitting a patch of those things, and just flying down the grass. So... (laughs) I guess that's advice at two levels. Next time, Agra Soak for a 150-footer, perfect. Yeah, yeah. And the pleasure of watching kids hurt themselves <laughs> is just a bonus. <laughs> yeah, man, it was a blast, though, dude. The ideal time. lawn lubricant. Hmm? Yeah. Agra Soak. Let's remember that. Yes. Yeah, what, what, what you do? And man? that's all we have for today's <laughs> podcast. We hope you've enjoyed. Uh, go yeah. ahead. How was your weekend, man? What did you do, Aaron? Uh, I I have been working on finishing our new practice space at our house. Uh, we live in a, a like a, a 1903 Sears kit house in San Luis, and there's an old basement that was used for church storage. And we have been cleaning it and preparing it to be our new rehearsal space for the band, uh, and has about a 12, 15 seat pub in it, so people can just come hang out at our rehearsals. Oh wow! Because Half the gigs we do, the only people that come are the people that always come to our gigs. Mm-hmm. I thought, geez, we can just invite them here and never move any equipment. Ooh, that's pretty smooth. So that was the idea. <laughs> so our, I'm sure the drummer's happy. <laughs> the drummer's very happy. Yeah, man. Got it. Especially because a week ago we punched a hole in his snare while moving everything. So, yeah. yes, he, he's ready. <laughs> And we also yeah. can have our Samson meeting there. So we get to be in, a, in the pub with total privacy and I can have full control over the music. That's so, awesome. Ah, yes, and you get control. Nice. Win-win. Win-win. I love the pictures of the new pub, by the way, and people can find them on Facebook. If they, if they search Aaron Porter Band, you've actually posted pictures of this great primo space. Down yeah, man. Yes, Aaron Porter Band. Check them out. It's fun. So what about you and Big Nate? Uh, I'll tell you on? what, last... Tuesday. Speaking of speaking of bands, mm-hmm. Allie and I went to Knoxville yeah. to see Steve Martin and the Steep Canyon Rangers. 
Steve Martin mm-hmm. of you know stand-up comedy right, and movie right, fame, right? right. right. Also turns Sla- out slash banjo player. Yeah, turns out not just banjo player, but you know kick-ass banjo player. Great. Oh yeah. You know, it actually, as he said two years ago, walked off with the best bluegrass album Grammy, and after the show discovered he'd actually won it. Uh, he made the, <laughs> <laughs> he made the point that uh, one of the great things about having a bluegrass band is that there's no drummer. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. What, what exactly was his point, though? But he it also said he said the downside of that is no pot. But anyway, he had some great <laughs> lines. It was an excellent show. No, he 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 is an amazing uh, banjo player. I had one of his records uh, back in like 1981. Oh yeah, one uh-huh. of his really. Yeah, his his music albums. Yeah, totally. So did how much comedy did he do versus? Playing with his whatever you said yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he just did banter between songs. But really, it was okay. it was a, it was a two. Uh, yeah, you know, it had to be good. It was a two-hour bluegrass show that oh, kept yeah. you on the edge of your seat. Oh, that's good. Oh, yeah, I can't good. say enough about uh, how great the show was. Anyway, uh, and then this last weekend, the holiday weekend. Yeah. Uh, birthday party, fifth birthday party for my granddaughter Chloe. Had it out in the park with, of course, the cicadas. Oh yeah! It is cicada time here yeah. in Middle Tennessee. Yeah. There is what's what's known as the Great Southern Swarm. Mm. This enormous family of cicadas that spans multiple states here in the southeast. And. Uh, John, the cicadas have the life, don't they? They do. Yeah. Describe for us the life cycle of the cicada. Well, you live in the ground for 13 years. You come out, have sex once, and die in three weeks and go back in the ground for another 13 years. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, who could ask for anything more? It's (laughs) Me, I I could. (laughs) For those that you don't know, I mean... not me, but for other people. Yeah. Uh, what's a cicada okay. exactly? A cicada, I mean, describe to them. A cicada. What a cicada yeah. Is. A cicada is is, um, is 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 a locust basically. It's a yeah. It's like a it's a it's a it's a large outdoor roach. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Uh, so picture a sexually frustrated roach. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I've got a picture in my mind, that baby. Flies. That e- flies. That flies. Every 13 years, they come up out of the ground. My, my, my front lawn looks like a colander because they make these holes coming up out of the ground. It takes them a few weeks for the males to harden up so that they can uh, play, mm-hmm. uh, you know, this screeching noise that it they is, make. This mating call. To, to attract the females. Yeah. And there are literally millions, millions or billions of these things. And yeah. when they get going, you know, when they finally get fired up, the noise is deafening. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's basically just kind of a scream out in my lawn right now. Yeah. I, I told my buddy this morning, he, he, he called from Detroit, and he said, I heard about these bugs you guys have. I said, imagine everyone in your entire county tur- turning on their their uh, weed whacker at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it sounds like. If you if you're driving down the street, it just sounds like the loudest weed whacker you've yeah. ever heard in your entire life. Well, Allie and I moved here mm-hmm. in June 13 years ago. We moved here on the 1st of June, and this same kind of deafening scream was going on then, except that 
uh, 13 years ago, there is a different group of cicadas that's on a seven-year cycle or uh -huh. an eight-year cycle yeah. that was out at the same time, so it was even louder. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And now, uh, you know, 13 years later, here they are again. Last there week, are just, yeah, last week uh, a teenager here was driving down the road with his window down, and one of those cicadas flew in his ear through the window into his ear, and he wrecked the car in a telephone pole and knocked out the electricity for like a half of a neighborhood. So, <laughs> I mean, so, so, so that one felt he needed a back seat, a little yeah, bit yeah. more privacy. Yeah, yeah. There, are just, there are just so many comments that should be made, yeah, exactly. but we have a mixed audience, so we can't, yeah, we just yeah. need to go to break soon so we can get them all out and then come back. But what about the cicadas that don't get lucky? <laughs> that, that's got to be frustrating as hell. <laughs> I waited 13 years. <laughs> you, you see, see, Mondo, that was one of those types of comments that I, I'm just thinking, you know, we should go to a break. That's why I said it. Get them all out. <laughs> that's exactly why I said it. <laughs> all righty. Well, well, what we got today, Nate? What's going on today? Well, I tell you what, we've got we got a great guest here. I'm so looking forward to talking with John Edwards, uh, who brings such a, a real uh, treasury of wisdom and experience around recovery. We're going to have a great talk about recovery. I think we'll also run a mini meeting. Oh, yeah. We'll get there in a second. We'll be right back on the Pirate Monk podcast. Oh, pirates! Life is a wonderful life, a roving over the sea. Give me a career as a buccaneer, it's the life of a pirate for me. Oh, the life of a pirate for me. Welcome back to the Pirate Mung Podcast today on a Cicada Tuesday. <laughs> Please keep your windows rolled up and your earplugs in until they're done having sex and dying. Nate, would you like to have a mini meeting today? <laughs> I desperately need a mini meeting, actually. I didn't make the Samson meeting last night. I assume there was one, but I didn't make it. So I could really use a mini-meeting. All right. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, welcome to this mini-meeting the Samson Society. We are a company of Christian men. We're also natural loners who recognize the dangers of isolation and are determined to escape them. Natural wanderers who are finding spiritual peace and prosperity at home. Natural liars who are now finding freedom in the truth. Natural judges who are learning how to judge ourselves aright, and natural strongmen who are experiencing God's strength as we admit our weaknesses. As Christians, we meet at other times for worship, for teaching, or for corporate prayer. This morning, however, we meet to talk. Our purpose is to assist one another in our common journey. We do so by sharing honestly out of our own personal experience and the challenges and encouragements of daily Christian living in a fallen world. Uh, we've now reached the sharing portion of our meeting. In sharing, we speak honestly out of our own experience. We tell the truth about ourselves, knowing that our brothers will listen to us in love and will hold whatever we say in strictest, strictest confidence. confidence. Uh, we try to keep our comments brief, taking care to leave plenty of time for others. We address our statements to the group as a whole rather than directing them toward Aaron or any other one person. Uh, as a rule, we refrain from giving advice to others or instructing them during the meeting, believing that such conversations are best reserved for private moments between friends. The suggested topic today is <laughs> recreation. 
Uh, but we're not confined to that subject. You may speak about any issue that's currently commanding your attention. The floor is now open. Hmm. All right. Uh, okay, I'm Nate. Uh, hey, Nate. <laughs> Nate. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. I'm going to launch on the subject of recreation. Um, you know, t- 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 to me, it's uh, it- it's it's actually um, striking to me that the word recreation is really you know, t- depending on how you pronounce it, how you look at it, it's it's recreation. Uh, that there there is something creative that happens in recreation. It's not just a diversion, just play, but there is actually something constructive that happens in recreation. Um, you know, in my years of acting out, I I forgot how to play basically. Um, and my only recreation, and that's what I as I thought of it, some kind of self uh, self destructive self soothing behavior. Uh, was sexual acting out and my soul and mind really withered during those years Um, and I certainly didn't take care of my uh, body there wasn't uh, you know there wasn't you know kind of I wasn't certainly wasn't focused on physical fitness during those years Uh, it was pointed out to me by my first um, sponsor that I had pretty much lost all the skills of self-care, and uh, you know that I that I cared for my addiction, but I didn't care for anything else, including my own body. And so, one of the first things that my that my uh, you know early sponsor, my first sponsor, uh, instructed me to do, you know, I, I thought of uh, recovery as entirely a mental journey or maybe a spiritual journey but it was something I was going to have to do you know in my head I wanted to straighten out my thinking well certainly um, that's a part of recovery and um, you know I had to learn to think differently however um, I, I was operating at the time under this false assumption that the mind and the body are completely separate um, and that I can attain you know that somehow, uh, you know, that there's no connection between mind and body, and that really is not the truth. That's that's not the way we Christians historically have understood the human being. It's not the way science today uh, understands the human being. Uh, our what's happening in our body influences what happens in our brain, even what happens in our heart, our physical heart. I'm starting to understand, uh, has a bearing on what happens in our brain. We are embodied spirits as Christians. And I didn't understand it at the time. I didn't know why this guy wanted me to go to bed at a decent hour, get up at a decent hour, begin to put my body in gear. He sent me to the gym. Um, And then he also gave me, uh, you know, recovery exercises to do, work to do. Uh, you know, he pushed me to get talking and to share in meetings and that kind of thing. Um, I don't think I really uh, appreciated until quite recently 
the role that, for example, basketball has played in my recovery. I hadn't played basketball since I was a kid. And I'm not comfortable around the gym. I'm not a jock. I felt very self-conscious when I got there, all these fit people, you know. Uh, but there was nobody in the gym. And there were old basketballs on a rack beside the wall. And uh, and so I picked up a basketball, and, uh, you know, I was in such bad shape at the beginning that, you know, I, I, 15 minutes of shooting baskets, and I was exhausted, and, you know, I hadn't made a basket yet. <laughs> um but I instituted a rule for myself that I had to I had to make five sh shots before I could quit. Um, and uh, you know, over the years, and I did that for years. Uh, you know, not only did my shooting improve dramatically, but uh, you know, my physical fitness improved, my mental state improved, and uh, of course, I attributed at the time I really attributed all of my spiritual progress to what I was doing, you know, in my head. Uh, and I know that, that, you know, played a major role. Learning how to think differently and speak differently and, you know, put words to my feelings. All that stuff was important. Uh, but physical recreation, I think, as I look back on it now, played a crucial role uh, in early recovery for me. And I've noticed that, you know, now in these later years, when I get lazy, when I get sedentary, mm -hmm. when I get overwhelmed, when I tell myself, you know, I've just got to get up in the morning and it's seven in the, you know, I got to be on the keyboard at seven a.m. and writing because I got to get the blasted book done, and I don't have time to exercise. Uh, when I get even so wrapped up in meeting with guys and doing recovery work, uh, that I'm not. Uh, you know, kicking up my heart rate. My physical health has a direct bearing on my spiritual health. And I can go into, and do go into spiritual decline that impacts the quality of my uh, sobriety. So, uh, I think recreation is not, not for me, you know, it's not this extra thing. It's not a waste of time. There is some recreation involved when I schedule time uh, to play. And uh, so I'm, I'm back on a recreation kick right now. I was on a two-hour walk this morning. Uh, the, you know, the third day in a row, I've been kicking it up. Uh, you know, and just reminded again, uh, how how key this is, how I really am a whole person. Uh, I'm Nate, thanks. Thanks, Nate. Thanks, Nate. I'm Mondo. Hey, Mondo. Hey, Mondo. Did I cut you off, Aaron? Nope. Okay, good. Um, <clears throat> uh, a lot of what you said, Nate, resonated with me. Uh, uh, within the last few months, uh, I've been writing a lot. I went, uh, bought a, uh, a mountain bike. Mm. And uh, my life is so busy that I find that I needed time to unplug in a different kind of way. Mm -hmm. And uh, I used to love riding bikes as a, as a you know little guy, and uh, 
and even growing up, you know, teenage years, uh, before I got a vehicle, that was my vehicle. Then I loved riding. So, uh, so I went and bought a bike and uh, went over to uh, Edwin Warner Park and rode for hours. I mean, hours. I, I lost track of time, didn't take my watch, mm-hmm. and uh, all I knew was it was getting dark. Mm-hmm. And But what I found was the clarity that I received on so many things in life. It was like a, it was a quiet time where there was no distraction. There was no computers. There was no people. There was no uh, kids. There was no TV. It was nothing. It was just me and the earth. Mm. That's it. You know, and it was it was exhilarating. It was something about it that was it was peaceful, uh, and it was a time of of meditation and, and prayer and so many things that I asked for clarity and I didn't seem to receive those answers yet out there I did but I realized why I didn't before because it was just too much distraction it was other things going on it was things pulling at my attention you know that sit and be still yeah, it'd be, it'd last like a minute but out there for hours by myself and of course with cicadas uh, <laughs> uh, it, it was amazing and I, it, it reminded me of, of how much uh Recreation and, and for me, because of my attention span or lack thereof, uh, it was good for me just to get away and unplug and be able to be able to listen. Uh, it's it's one thing to pray for things, but if you don't ever put yourself in a position to receive the answer and to be able to hear clearly, what's the point? Mm. Um, and uh, it, it was it was an amazing thing for me. So it's, it's interesting you brought up recreation as a topic because that's something that now I, I I fiend for it. You know, I'm I'm excited about you know. If not tonight, tomorrow, going back out riding again. Mm. Um, and it's, you know, it's obviously the the meditation part and, and receiving, you know, and hearing God speak to you, but it's also just a great way to unplug. And it's, it was interesting. I saw a lot of other guys out there that I know mm. doing the same thing. Mm. You know, I never knew they went to that park. Mm-hmm. You know, saw so them running or walking or something. And uh, but I really realized how important it is to to unplug. It's all balance. You know, I can easily go through a year and just blaze through it without taking a break. And at the end of the year, I, you can see it in my face, you can see it in my eyes, you can see it in my energy, my attitude, um, everything. So, so re- yeah, recreation has definitely become an important part of my life. And I think, and I've seen that I've become a better person uh, all around <clears throat> by investing in myself, uh, investing in that quiet time. Uh, it's not a typical way, you know, you think quiet time is only sitting somewhere, you know, in your bedroom with the word open with, you know, a devotional or whatever it may be. But I, I think recreation, whether it be shooting baskets or whether it be riding a bike or doing whatever you want to do, uh, it's it's valuable. So, uh, so I'm Mondo. Thanks, Mondo. Thanks, Mondo. <clears throat> I'm Aaron. Hey, Aaron. This is a... It's a hard one because, I don't know, you guys are talking about physical recreation and activity. I've definitely been thinking about that in my life, but then there's also that fun component where is it really, you know, does it count as recreation if you're doing it and it's not just for pleasure? My mind goes to all those types of thoughts. Let's narrow this down. What exactly are we talking about? So it's good that those things aren't answered for me. Uh, I, I I just have a lot of trouble scheduling active recreation into my life at this point with the kids at the age they are. Uh, 
I'd rather get up early and do intellectual works, whether it's studying or writing. That's when I—that's my most productive time. So it feels like, man, if I take an hour in the morning when the you know before the kids get up, that's an hour when I could have been really productive. I know exactly the word count of that hour that I've just wasted to go do that, uh, and that's that's how it feels that it's a waste. But then my kids get off out of school before I get home from work, so I get home and it feels like an hour then is taking it away from them. So recreation feels like it's robbing somebody uh, at any given time. And it's also a hard discipline for me. I mean, the last time I was really active in that way for my own sake it was maybe four years ago. And I had to go sign up at a with a Muay Thai team for their, their training days just because it was really young guys who were very intense. And so throw the competitive piece in, and I'll show up and work hard. If it's by myself, you can turn the ring timer on, but I, I don't know if I'll finish this round. You know, we might just... There's nothing like someone yelling at you or swinging at you to really motivate recreation. So... I need that competitive piece because uh, fun for fun's sake is a discipline at this point in my life that just is hard. Even on my Sabbath days, it's more resting as in sitting and reading a book and exhausting myself does not sound fun. Hmm. So I've been thinking a lot about it. I went out with the boys and played basketball last Friday and had kind of a similar thing with you, Nate. Everyone just had a ball, and we were just shooting baskets. And my first thought was, geez, I'm out of shape. Mm. Uh, my second was, geez, these aren't going in as often as they used to. And my third was, maybe I could come do this again with them on some kind of regular basis. But then I pushed that away because I knew it was a lie. Mm. Hi, Marin. Thanks, Aaron. I'm John. Hey, hey John. John. Hey, John. I, uh, it's in addiction, when we're in our active phase of addiction, our total focus is on our addiction. It's, it's on acting out, what, whatever we do. And the interesting thing, when we transition into recovery, the, the early period of that recovery process, we're hyper-focused on abstinence. Mm -hmm. um, so we go from one extreme and stay in that extreme to the other side. Mm -hmm. um, and that abstinent period typically lasts eight months, a year, mm -hmm. year and a half, something like that. And then we start recognizing the fact that there's just a little bit of balance coming back into our life. We're starting to, to get along with people, our relationships are getting better, things of that nature. Um, so it, it's important that we start looking at balance. Um, and I, we're going to discuss my book later, but one of the chapters in my book is about life balance, and I use uh, the wheel of life in there. And uh, the wheel of life consists of a circle with eight spokes through it. And each one of those spokes represents a part of or some segment of our life and what we find out when we go through that exercise is that some areas of our life are 
we're not spending as much time on those. Uh, those suffer. If if I'm total, you know, if I'm totally focused on abstinence, then I'm going to neglect my family. I'm going to neglect my job. I'm going to neglect these other things. And the whole idea is, with the wheel of life, is to bring some balance into your life um, and get back some of those things that we didn't have before. Mm-hmm. I um, I lead a a group on life balance and on um, interestingly enough recreation. Mm-hmm. And recreation doesn't necessarily have to be shooting baskets or riding bikes or running. Uh, recreation can be doing things with your kids. Recreation can be uh, a 15-minute walk with your wife or, or something, but you're, you're starting to, to bring balance back and to find balance in your life. The more balance I have, the more comfortable I am in my recovery and the more likely I am to stay engaged. If I'm miserable, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not going to stay there very long, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just it's, it isn't going to happen. So I um, in my early recovery, I went to a lot of meetings. I, I became a, an avid jogger uh, and I focused on a lot of, you know, just two or three things and a few years later my son and I were together we were traveling uh, uh, to a conference together and he told me he said you know dad when you got sober he said I thought that you would would be at home and I thought you'd be with us and things would be okay but he said you were always gone at meetings so it really did upset me because you were always gone when you were drinking and then you were always gone because of meetings but I recognize now that you had to do that in order to get to be the person that you are today. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it, as I trans, transitioned into to long-term recovery, I started trying to find some of that balance. And it's not perfect today. I still find myself having difficulty relaxing in some ways. But I know what to do. Uh, you know, it, it's uh, playing cards. Um, Getting together with a group of guys and playing, you know, penny nickel mm-hmm. dime poker, mm-hmm. um, attending concerts, um, all of those things bring us that balance that that helps us to get to feel normal again, if there is such a thing. Mm-hmm. And it's that it's a part of the recovery cycle, and it's it's one of the last latter things that we get. It's one of the latter things that we accomplish that, that kind of transitions, into, transitions us into that maintenance stage of recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm John. Thanks. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. Now, we'll be back talking more with John uh, here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Maybe a rock and roll addict dancing on the stage. Money plugs at your command, women in a cage. You may be a businessman or some high degree thief. They may call you doctor, or they may call you chief. Serve somebody. Yes, you are. You're gonna have to serve somebody.
Okay, we're back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Our guest today is John Edwards, author of a great little book called Escaping from the Bondage of Addiction, Learning Who You Are and How to Live Sober. Thanks for joining us, John. Glad to be here. So glad you came. You came out. I love this book because it's not just a book that talks to me, but it's a book that that invites me to talk back. Uh, you've got tons of great information in here, but also fill-in-the-blank exercises where you ask pointed questions. Uh, and uh, if I'll take the time to go through the book methodically, um, I've got to begin to con- uh, to get specific about my own life. Uh, what a what a what a terrific way to write this thing. Uh, I'm curious. Uh, before we get started, I want to ask you some specifics about uh, your work and about the book. But tell us a little bit about your story. Uh, how did you happen into the big bad world of recovery? I am uh, a recovering alcoholic. Um, my sobriety date is January the fourth of nineteen eighty. And uh, I um, come from a family of alcoholics, uh, a family with um, many of, of, of us have co-occurring disorders, depression, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, um, I never fit. I never did fit in. Um, there was always, I was always just about a half a step mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people thought I was a half a step behind, but at sometimes I thought I might have been a half a step ahead, but mm-hmm. I, <laughs> mm-hmm. I never was quite in, in sync mm-hmm. with everybody else. And um, I found um, I found at least what I thought to be comfort uh, with, with alcohol. Mm-hmm. It, it took away that edge, it took away that pain. Um, and I... Um, I had a lot of trouble with responsibility, being a responsible person. I was very immature and, and I had a, a difficult time being very responsible. Um, over the period of years, I, uh, my drinking got to the point to where I had to do something about it. Um, and and I, I went into, uh, into treatment, finally went into treatment. and. Um, have uh, have never looked back. It, it's it's been a wonderful journey. I um, spent the first 23 years of my life in medical sales, mm-hmm. um, and recognized the fact eight or nine years into recovery that I uh, I was in the wrong field. I was I was miserable and didn't recognize it until I was able to get my head clear enough to see that I was uh, was in the wrong field. And it always wanted to be uh, in counseling, so I uh, I started a uh, an employee assistance program company um, in latter part of '89 or, or early '90, and uh, developed that company and sold it um, about 10 years ago, and started looking at life coaching. Uh, a friend of mine told me that that was the next mm-hmm. great field to get into, and that I would, I should, I, I had been doing it for years. I just needed to, to call it that, and um, I, that's what I've done now. I recognize the fact that you have to have a niche, and my niche is is recovery. Mm-hmm. I, I uh, 
I, am, I have a personal history there and, and a great deal of experience there personally as well as professionally. And um, it's, it's, it's my ministry. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I, I think that um, being able to, to reach out and, and help people. Um, I don't know if you all have ever read any of Stephen Covey's work. Mm -hmm. uh, sure, yeah. But I, I went through that and did a personal mission statement, and my personal mission statement starts out, today I will make a difference, not just an impression. Nah. And uh, that's kind of what drives me. Mm. Uh, mm. That's what, what brings me about. It, it's not an easy journey, but um, and there's a lot of frustration. You've dealt with people with addictions, yeah. you know. Um, they're probably... Ten, uh, there are probably nine disappointments to one, mm -hmm. one, one thing that gives you gratification. Uh, but that one, every once in a while, is enough to keep going because this is a, it's a serious thing and and it's a spiritual journey. I, I you know, I became, uh, I, I tell people I'm a recovering Baptist. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, I, my exposure to to Christianity and my exposure to God and to Jesus uh, as a child certainly uh, helped me come back into recovery. But I had turned God away. I I had turned my my power, my will, and my life over to the power of alcohol instead of the power of of, of God as yeah. I understood Him. Yeah. And, uh, getting that back, getting that uh, relationship back, has been important. And I, I think doing what I'm supposed to do. Uh, uh, it is very important, and that's doing God's will is to help other people and to reach out. Yeah. So, at at what point did you think there is? Uh, I, I need to help make a tool. This book. What was missing in the resources that were available that you felt like you needed to fill with this book? I'm curious because you're a guy who was coming at it as a man who had gone through recovery, was walking through with other people. So what motivated you to put this down? Um, well, first of all, I had had a suppressed desire for years to write a book. Uh, so the, 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 the ember was there smoldering. Um, I started writing a uh, recovery newsletter, and it was very well received, and I recognized the fact that I could, I could take that energy and put it into a book. Uh, it's, I didn't find, uh, Aaron, I didn't think that there was anything missing. I don't. I have enough humility to recognize the fact that there are far greater writers out there than myself. This was just something that I, I wanted to do. Uh, okay. Had the desire to do and um, hope that it would benefit some folks that, that if they read it and they used it. So. You know, I love your your personal mission statement. You're talking really about about life management rather than image management. Mm -hmm. uh, and you talk about life management in your book. To me, it's kind of this... Uh, it's uh, in recovery. Uh, there's kind of this paradox at the, at the heart of recovery. On the, on the one hand, we've been led to disaster by this, by self-will run riot, by tr trying to live by self-propulsion. And, and we have to give that up. And in Samson, we talk about abandoning self-help. At the same time, almost all of us have been irresponsible and passive. Uh, and so in Samson, we talk about accepting responsibility. Uh, 
without needing control. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you talk you talk a lot in your book, John, about uh, about ac- accepting responsibility for your life and about learning uh, self manage self management skills. I- expound on that a little bit for us, will you? Well, it we most of us are control freaks. Mm-hmm. We try to control things so that we can get our way. And um, so it's kind of a paradox when somebody says you've got to admit that you're powerless over something and your life is unmanageable. This is the only time that I have been able to recognize the fact that surrender means victory. Mm-hmm. Every, yeah. every, every, every other time you lose, this time you win when you surrender. But then you leave yourself out there vulnerable because you sit around and say, you know, it's like I'm I'm unemployed and I pray that God's going to help me find a job. Mm-hmm. Well, God is not going to help me find a job if I don't get out and make applications. Yeah, right. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it it. it the the thing here is we need to recognize our that we need to have that responsibility but it's like my old sponsor used to say you're on the work detail god is chairman of the results committee yeah yeah um, yeah, yeah. And, and it, it it's kind of it's kind of confusing and most of us uh as you mentioned earlier were immature and irresponsible and we did not learn those people skills that those Mm-hmm. personal skills that we need, our communication skills, decision-making skills, things of that nature. Um, and that's what I'm trying to do in the book here. I I got away from the, the 12 steps. That mm-hmm. This book is not about the 12 steps. Yeah. This book is about taking, taking it to the next level. Um, I, I say in the book, and I say with, with every talk that I make on this book, that this is not meant in any shape, form, or fashion to to replace any twelve you know official yeah. twelve step material, um, it's to be used as an adjunct or as a supplement. Yeah, yeah. But I so think when you go ahead when you say well, yeah when you say take it to the next level is that kind of adding the balance back in and and getting to that next part of life where recovery yeah. is a natural part of life. Yeah. Okay. My whole focus, I, I focus on, number one, getting people uh, engaged in recovery, but my whole focus is on helping people stay, remain engaged long enough to where they can recognize the fact that this is the life that I want and it is a life that I can live. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. One of the, the biggest problems with uh, chemical addiction and, and certainly with sex addiction is uh, slips and relapses. Sure. Uh, uh, the 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 whole focus here is to remain uh, to remain abstinent long enough to recognize the fact that you can do it yeah yeah and to find that I, there, there's a difference between um, instant gratification and delayed gratification mm-hmm. my book is about delayed gratification it's about learning about yourself and and finding things out there that are worth going through the pain to receive yeah. And learning patience, for example. God grant me patience and grant it now. <laughs> yeah, we, we by nature, those of us who are addicts, by nature, impatient people. Yeah. Uh, just somehow I picked up, I don't know how I got it, but I picked up the idea that things weren't going to change unless I did something to change them. Hmm. 
Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, at what point would you recommend someone reading this book? Is this a a year into a twelve step program kind of thing, or should someone read this right away, looking forward to a time when it could be true, or does it even matter? Uh, the first four or five or six chapters are about recovery in the first year, the things that you need to look at, the pitfalls, the uh, the, the stumbling blocks that you can encounter, uh, procrastination, things of that nature, how to deal with anger uh, and resentments, yeah. the things that you're going to stumble with. And then the next segment, the, the, the latter part of the book, goes through several uh, Things that you can use in the beginning, but uh, actually you can pick this up uh, all the, all through recovery. I, mean, I think you'll, you know, when you read the Bible, no matter if you read it from cover to cover once a year, mm-hmm. every time you read it, every time you read a passage, you're going to probably see something different. Yeah. Because you're that much further along, in your in your discovery. So, yeah. Yeah. So it, it's, I mean, it, that's the same way there. I. Uh, and, and isn't that true? I mean, that's and that's true as well of. Uh, recovery meetings, Samson meetings, doesn't matter really how many times we've shared on a specific topic. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something, hear something, sometime this trip through uh, that I'm gonna benefit from. Uh, put something together that I haven't put together before, or remember something that I've that I've managed to forget. Uh, but. Yeah, just keeping up. What's the uh, part of the challenge for me is just keeping up the forward momentum. Um, I I know that I cannot live by self-propulsion, and that I really am carried by a power greater than myself. But I I also have come to understand that I I have this responsibility to remain engaged, and. and there is this entropy that's at work in my life, this moral entropy or spiritual, whatever it is. Uh, this part of me that would just just wants to slack. Uh, but when I when I stop pursuing uh, recovery, uh, it doesn't take long for my heart to begin to wander in other directions. One of the things that I, I, one of the first things I do in my book is to have people write down their priorities. Uh, what are your priorities in life? And list those in, in order of importance. And that is a way of, of helping to, to stay focused. Um, my priorities in life, uh, and I, I, it took me several months to to get to this is not something that you can do lightly but my number one priority in life is my relationship with God Mm -hmm. because if I don't have that I don't have anything else my second priority is uh, my sobriety because if I don't have sobriety I don't have anything else but I'm not going to have sobriety if I don't maintain my relationship with God Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. my third priority is my wife Uh, we we just celebrated our 48th wedding anniversary, and nice. uh, the the woman is a saint to have lived with me all of these years. Uh, she understands that she's in third place and and is really happy to be there because first and second place have, have gotten us to 48 years. 
Uh, fourth are my children and my grandchildren, and fifth is my work, my avocation, what I do. And I use that as a filter to deal with life and, and life's challenges. Mm -hmm. um, if, if I'm confronted with something, if I'll stop and ask myself, how does that affect my relationship with God, my mm -hmm. sobriety? If, if I answer that, 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 that it's, it's not a problem to any of those, those priorities, then it's something that I should engage in. Mm -hmm. If I can recognize the fact that it's going to damage that, then it's something that I should not do yeah. or should yeah. not engage in. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing is then after you do that is to look at your value system. Look at your values. Yeah. Um, and go back. There, you know, there are hundreds and hundreds of different values, and they change from life, you know, as, as we go through life. But the core values are there: um, honesty, fidelity, integrity, you know, things of that nature. Yeah. And um, that's something that I'm sure that's in some other recovery books. It's I, you know, I I didn't do a lot of research before I started writing my own, but these were things that were important to me. Mm -hmm. And if, if I'm true to my core values and I'm true to my priorities, then I'm working a pretty good program. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's important. And that's something that you need in the early stage. Uh, so that, I hope that answered your question. Uh, it's, yeah. it's something that you can pick up all along. Well, well John, this book is a great gift uh, because you bring the long view, 30 years uh, in recovery, a lot of experience helping a lot of people, a lot of uh, work and self-assessment, a lot of spiritual growth. Um, and I want to thank you for taking the time and expending the effort uh, to write something as good as this, for making it available. I'm wondering, how can our listeners find the book and reach you if they want to reach you? My um, website is www.therecoverycoach.co, not .com, but .co. Okay, okay. Um, and the um, they can reach me there, and the you can download a um, an ebook copy uh, of the book. Um, oh, nice. Relative, eight ninety five or something like that. It's, it's relatively inexpensive. Yeah. Um, and um, then they they can contact me. There's a, a way to contact me there. Uh, their their phone numbers and everything. And I I would be delighted to share and, and work with any of the folks that would like to call and talk. All right. And and uh, and since all addicts share an inner architecture, it really doesn't matter what the presenting behavior is. Uh, you can bring some experience to bear. Yeah. Well, thank you, John. Thank you. And we'll be right back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Father, hear me when I pray. Send the Savior on his way. Holy Spirit, come and stay Lord, I'll need you all this day. I am weak and weary, warm. I am bitter.
bitter and forlorn Such a dark and dreary land Come and take my weary It's been another great week on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Uh, I really enjoyed this uh, this little episode, good. huh? It was good today, man. Yeah, yeah. And uh, life marches on. We got all. Oh, we'll have a good guest again next week. Oh yeah. Uh, meantime, uh, if you haven't been to a forty-eight hours of frankness yet, and if you're a male listener to the podcast. Uh, you need to get yourself to one of those great weekends that takes you all the way through the path in 48 hours. No better orientation to uh, to this way of life. The next one coming up is in Richmond, Virginia. Happens in a little less than two weeks, the weekend of, or a little less than three weeks, the weekend of June 16th, 17th. Uh, you can find out more about that on the website at sampsonsociety.net. John, it was good to have you today. Thanks for your thoughts and your insights, your experience. Glad to be here. All right. Well, until next week, it's Nate, Mondo, and Aaron, and our new friend, John Edwards, wishing you all the best. Say what?